Sad Times Ahead. That's the name of today's little wee transmission, Sad Times Ahead. And I want to take a moment to talk about the SAD diet, also known as the Standard American Diet, but I think the acronym of SAD is very appropriate. And also talking about some of the popular diets, which are really just glorified versions of the SAD diet, and how this leads to a condition or condition in TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, known as dampness. This is very interesting information, um, very worthy to hear about. So let's talk a little bit about what dampness is. I know sometimes coming from the Western perspective, it's a little kind of different to talk about these things and have it make sense in kind of the the Western way of talking about stuff, but this is much more sensible and it helps to get really to the root of things. And of course, this is very much influenced by what we eat. And it's very interesting that many of the popular diets that are being promoted nowadays are inherently damp, especially the pro-metabolic approach and especially the raw primal diet approach. And even the Weston A. Price Foundation diet to an extent. I mean, all those regimes are vitamin A bombs. We went over that already on a few shows. But I also want to talk about dampness. And this corresponds somewhat to vitamin A, but it also corresponds to some foods that aren't high in vitamin A that are also damp. So here's a little bit about dampness. So traditional Chinese medicine talks about the body in ways of excess or deficiency. It talks about things such as wind, heat, dampness, uh, yin deficiency, yang deficiency. This is the language of traditional Chinese medicine. So there's something in TCM called dampness. It's a condition that exists within the body. And we understand it as a reflection as it occurs in nature. So dampness can arise many ways. So living in an environment that's very damp, damp weather, damp living conditions, damp producing foods, these are all things that can promote dampness in the body. Dampness is a form of phlegm. And if we're talking about this from the Ayurvedic perspective, talking about the doshas, we have vata, pitta, and kapha. Kapha would be the dosha most associated with dampness. That's typically the larger body type, slower moving, slower thinking, easier to gain weight. This is the damp body type, but they just call it in Ayurveda, they call it kapha. So here's a little bit about dampness. They say in TCM that the earth element creates damp and the metal element stores it. The organs associated with the earth element are the stomach and the spleen. So dampness usually starts with those organs. And the organs associated with metal are the lungs and the large intestine. When dampness is created by impaired digestion, which of course happens on the SAD diet and happens on many of these popular regimes because they're terribly imbalanced. I had a post last week where I talked about my update about two months into this vitamin A, low vitamin A, kind of vitamin A consciousness way of uh, eating. And I talked about how any dietary regime out there that doesn't take into consideration balance, if you want to call it yin or in yang, that's kind of the, the language that I speak, it's a waste of your time. I'm serious about this. If you're not able to see in a dietary regime how you use foods and cookery methods to balance your food, you are going to end up imbalanced doing that regime. It may take a while, sure, especially if you're quite young and your history of doing these types of things is, is minimal, 
but eventually it happens. Buy now, pay later. When dampness moves into the lungs, the usual symptom is phlegm coming up while coughing, especially after eating something inherently cold or difficult to digest, such as cold dairy products or greasy foods, hallmarks of the standard American diet. When dampness is stored in the large intestine, we find various intestinal disturbances, like things of loose stools and diarrhea. So we could say that something like IBS or colitis or Crohn's would be dampness. Of course, we're using more of the Western language with the diagnostics, right? Even intestinal rumblings are due to dampness. Internal dampness is directly due to the impaired transformation and transportation functions of the spleen. And the spleen is an interesting organ, doesn't get a lot of play in the Western medical modality. It's connected to the lymph system. Something else is really not talked about much in the Western or allopathic other suffering modality. They talk a lot about blood, but they talk really nothing about lymph. And stagnant lymph, of course, would be a sign of dampness. And what do they do when you have the big C in allopathy? They cut out your lymph nodes. And you got to believe that's going to affect your spleen and your detoxification. In Chinese medicine, dampness is considered to be the cause or the contributing factor of many illnesses such as high cholesterol, cancer, metabolic disorders, chronic fatigue syndrome, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, eczema, allergies, and environmental illness. And there are two general categories of dampness. There is the internal and there's the external. So let's discuss the internal first. Internal dampness is the most common and easily will combine with heat or cold to cause what's known as damp heat or damp cold. So you have a dual type of thing going on. You either have damp plus heat or you have damp plus cold. Symptoms include a feeling of heaviness, puffiness of the skin, swelling or water retention, distended abdomen, abdomen, phlegm discharge, nodular masses, loose bowels. People with dampness often have sluggish energy and it's easy for them to gain weight. External dampness is a condition with prolonged high humidity that usually occurs in the late summer and the early autumn or during the long lasting rain weather. People often complain of dizziness, a heavy sensation in the head and body and joint soreness and pain. In both external and internal dampness, there may be discharge that forms on the body, such as sores, eczema, thrush, or yeast infections, all signs of dampness. And now, of course, we have these modern diets that are built around damp foods. Um, it's it's mind-zoggling that these regimes are getting traction, but like I said prior, if you're young or if you haven't tried too many of these things, you might feel okay now, but... Give it some time, right? Everything, everyone has a limit in how long it takes for something to manifest into something. So what are some foods that could cause dampness? That would be milk products, except for yogurt. Yogurt's not considered damp in TCM. Cow products are far more damp than sheep or goat. Goat is the least damp. Sugar and sweets. Uh, white flour, especially wheat in general, is considered a damp food. So maybe that's why some people do better with a gluten-free diet. But when I'm talking about gluten, we're highlighting wheat because wheat is the most damp grain that contains gluten. Barley, on the other hand, is not damp, nor is rye. Barley is actually good for dampness, especially a certain type of Japanese barley called hatomugi, sometimes known as Job's Tears. Any refined starch, highly processed starch products, 
eating excess raw fruit, eating excess raw vegetables, eating excess mushrooms and fungi can also cause dampness. Peppers can cause dampness. I would venture to say that nightshades in general, specifically the above ground nightshades, like the peppers, the eggplant and tomato, of course, they're all very high in vitamin A. Those are all damp fruits. Cold beverages, this is a big thing in you know the Western diet. Cold beverages immobilize the immune cells on the wall of the digestive tract. I mean, there really is no immune system, but anyway, it paralyzes your digestion, essentially. It causes weight gain. I remember hearing when I was like a teen, that certain models, they're probably all trannies anyway, were drinking ice water to like boost their metabolism. That's got to be the biggest hoax in the world. An excess of fermented foods can also cause dampness and foods containing yeast or an excess of vinegar. Foods known to cause damp heat would be alcohol, fatty, greasy, and deep fried foods. So many of these foods are foods that are promoted on the Weston A. Price Foundation diet, on the pro-metabolic diet, on the raw primal diet, and of course on the SAD diet. So what can we do to quell this dampness? So one of the things we can do would be sweating. Sweating is a really good thing right there. So going into the sauna is actually a really good way to quell dampness. I'm actually in the sauna right now doing a sauna session called Sad Times Ahead, uh, orating this information about dampness. So the sauna is great. It's basically a hot box and you can start super slow, especially if you've got a lot of congestion and stagnation. You can start with like 10, 20 minutes at a lower heat and then take it from there. And the more time you acclimate your body to it, the quicker you'll start to sweat when you get into here. And of course there's different types of saunas. The traditional one, which has like the rocks in the middle, takes a lot longer to heat up typically and it's more expensive to run and it's more expensive to fix. And then we have these more modern ones that have these heat panels around it, which is what I have. I had the choice of either one, but this one worked for me and I'm very happy with it. I really like it. You really feel very good when you're in here. And if you're dealing with a dampness, the heat of the sauna uh, tonifies the spleen. So we're talking earlier that the spleen is tied to dampness. Oftentimes the dampness starts with the spleen being on the fritz. So in TCM, it's usually like a, a cascade or like a little kind of puzzle piece. Like this happens first, then this happens, and then this happens. They kind of chase the trail and give it these diagnostic terms that to the Western mind don't make a lot of sense. But once we talk about it like this, I'm sure it's, it's gelling for many people. So sweating in the sauna can be a key to living a longer, happier, and healthier life. It feels really good. Uh, it's great if you're trying to implement a healthier lifestyle, you're trying to make better food choices, you're trying to stay away from uh, addictive substances. All this types of stuff is, is really, really helpful uh, for using the sauna. It gives you kind of like a natural high or a natural boost. I mean, there's so many things in this world that are these cheap dopamine hits that maybe give us a buzz but it really doesn't get to the root of giving us that natural high, which so many of us uh, are craving. That's our birthright. So what are some of the top five benefits of utilizing the sauna? Improves skin appearance because it's cleaning your largest organ in the body, which is your skin. Your skin's about 10 pounds. So it can help with blood circulation. It can help with skin issues like acne and uh, blackheads. It can help remove dead skin cells. It can help with hormones. It can help with anti-aging. 
They're saying it also boosts the quote immune system. Well, it helps with the support system. It just helps your body, you know, stay in, in healthier shape so you can support your health. So you're not going to, you know, basically have to do some type of like viral or bacterial detox. It provides stress relief. It uh, helps with the release of endorphins, which also happens in exercise, which is known as the feel-good drug. They're naturally produced in the central nervous system and help to de-stress because stress is the root of most illnesses, of course, many modern illnesses. This is an important benefit that should not be overlooked. It can also assist in weight loss, especially if you're dealing with an acidic, inflamed, toxic body, which would be more of a Western way of basically saying someone has dampness. Regular sauna sessions coupled with a healthy diet and exercise can help you feel great and lose weight. And if you're going to a communal area to sauna, I, I personally don't do that. I wouldn't want to sit in like a, a sweaty hot box with really anybody else. I kind of consider it like my toothbrush, to be honest with you. But sometimes people will go in it with friends or family. I could understand that more than just with a couple of, you know, randoms and stuff. But traditionally in the European context of when our ancestors would sauna, it was a time when we'd all get together. No one was obsessed with, you know, nudity. No one had their phone, you know, taking a picture of someone's body. So it's a nice opportunity to socialize if you have the capacity to have a large sauna with friends and family. Sauna helps your brain by growing new brain cells, helping it to function faster, improving memory, attention, and focus, relieving anxiety and depression, enhancing the power of meditation and visualization, as well as giving a natural drug-free high. And I think sometimes people are talking about, you know, getting high or lifted or whatever it is, they think that that's an external thing that happens, but the natural state of the human when it's balanced is ecstasy or bliss or being high. And oftentimes we realize this after we've opened the doorway to getting high using exogenous substances. And once we've done that, the doorway has already been opened. So we either have one or two choices. Either we go down that road of utilizing substances or basically take our life force, vril, prana, chi, and charisma away, or we use that opening as an invitation to find our natural high, to harness our natural ecstasy and bliss, which is our birthright. So if you don't have a sauna, I know not everybody does, there's something else that you can do too. It's very affordable. You can take a washcloth. I recommend cotton or bamboo or something that's natural and you put it in a basin of you know rather hot water not scalding but hot enough and then you wring that out and you take that washcloth and you rub it all over your body you can do your face first and then do your your arms and your torso and your legs and you'll be able to get like a nice vigorous glow you'll have to wring the towel out a couple of times as it will get cold and you'll want to you know rub it all around your body a couple of times to really get that that vigorous feeling but that's a great way to uh, get the blood flowing if you don't currently have access to a sauna. And just a little bit more about what foods we could be eating and a little bit about what foods cause dampness. We talked about that a little bit before, but this is just a little bit more of a list. So the foods that do cause dampness, just to reiterate, cold raw foods, refined sugar, fatty meats, uh, fruit juices, coffee and alcohol, deep fried foods, 
Uh, Overconsumption of nuts. Peanuts in general tend to be a very damp nut. Seeds are less damp than nuts. Uh, dairy, especially things like too much cheese, milk, or ice cream. Ice cream would be the dampest of all of those foods because it's the coldest and it also has sugar in it. Wheat in general, especially refined or white wheat. Whole wheat will be to an extent, but refined wheat is more cold or iced beverages and bananas. And bananas are one of those things that are considered low vitamin A, but they're damp and they're tropical. Are they really good sustenance for European people? I think not, especially in winter. So like I said prior, a lot of these foods are foods that are, of course, on the SAD diet, on the Weston A. Price Foundation diet, on the pro-metabolic diet, on the uh, raw primal diet, and eventually all those diets will cause damp heat. Now, what do we want to eat so we don't have damp heat? Or if we do have damp heat, how can we fix it? Eat foods and drinks at room temperature or warmer. Incorporate some bitter, pungent, or aromatic foods and spices, um, being mindful that some of those foods are going to be high in vitamin A. And those aren't really a root cause type of thing. Those are just kind of things you can use to ameliorate some of the symptoms that may be happening from having the dampness. It's not a, a root cause thing, but it's something you can utilize on your journey. Drinking bone broth as a snack, I recommend making it yourself because the stuff in the store could have natural flavors, MSG. It could be made with vegetables that are rich in vitamin A. They may have simmered the broth for 10 hours and it's brimming with heavy metals. Eating small to moderate meals and not overeating. Ginger tea, regular exercise. These are all great things. Also, you can try eating lightly cooked vegetables. The grains associated with quelling dampness are brown rice, barley, rye, oats. Uh, you can include legumes, of course. We've talked a bunch about beans lately on the broadcast. Legumes and beans are great for quelling dampness. Meat, poultry, and fish in small quantities, but not a huge amount of like the fatty stuff. Like I always make sure that I keep more with like the lean fishes. I like the white meat fish like flounder, sometimes shrimp. Uh, I usually do the white meat chicken. I do lean bison. So you don't have to eat a ton of fat. Sometimes people feel better when they're doing a ton of fat because they can't digest carbohydrates and because a ton of fat will block their liver from detoxing. Once you start detoxing, it's it's not sunshine and rainbows um, in the beginning phase. Anyone who's ever done a drug detox knows this. You don't feel very good during the detox but you get through the detox, you feel like a million bucks. Small amounts of whole fruits and lemons. I like things like apples and berries, peel your apples, sesame, pumpkin, and sunflower seeds. Uh, green tea is also really good for dampness. Coffee will make you damp and black tea will make you damp, but green tea can help with dampness. So just some ideas there about how you can quell dampness and how you can recognize it and why you would want to avoid this. Who would want to feel heavy, swollen, um, water holding water retention, having a distended abdomen? All of these are signs of being too damp. And this also affects our liver too. And we see someone that has a large midsection. It's not just an excess of adipose tissue. That's part of it, of course, but it's also the fact that the liver is enlarged from eating these foods, taxing the liver, taxing the spleen. Over time, this is what happens. That's why we see people sometimes who are in their you know, 20s and early 30s, they get away with this type of stuff. They're lean, they're okay. 
And then after 35 or after 40, the shit hits the fan, right? I always think that there's a time between 35 and 40 where you can either make it or break it. You can either kind of fall into foul habits and get into a slump, or you can sail through those years and, and go good into the, the older years or the medium years, however you want to see it in, in your life. So the choice is always ours. We just need the right information to make the choice. So I hope you enjoyed this little tidbit about dampness and sad times ahead. Until next time, Satnam.